What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Sitt, I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for the download. This Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn more about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and more on ATECSports.com. ATEC, win every practice. Aaron, probably our most tumultuous top 25 of the season. We've got a new number one for the yeah. first time, so we're going to really focus hard on this week's top 25 because it was tough to make the sausage this week. Uh, we had to use some artificial ingredients, uh, throw a lot of spices in there. Yeah. It was tough. Uh, what was not tough was a new number one, Florida State. Um, the Seminoles have not lost a series all year, Aaron, and Florida, loser of two straight series uh, against at Ole Miss and now this weekend at home against uh, LSU. That was a big surprise, was it not? Yeah, it was a surprise. You know, I'm, I'm starting to wonder a little bit about Florida um, because they've had some issues with, with health on their pitching staff. You know, I'm not making excuses for them, but, hey, you know, the, the team that we ranked as the juggernaut number one team uh, had three All-Americans in their weekend rotation. And, you know, right now, Hudson Randall didn't pitch this weekend. I don't get the impression that it's a serious thing, but um, he hasn't really been his dominant self this year anyway like he was a year ago. Correct. Um, you know, Carson Whitson left after an inning this week. You know, Kevin O'Sullivan said afterward it wasn't because of injury. Well, you know, then why do you not let your preseason All-American pitch out of the, you know, out of the second inning? I mean, I, something's going on there. Uh, it's complete. a little bit of a cause for concern. I, a little cause for concern with Florida. The, 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 I think that we can link a couple of teams in the top 25 in this discussion with North Carolina and Florida. And usually, if you lose a top 25 series. Even if you lose two, it's, just, it's a pretty big tumble for Florida to, to drop six spots. But they have lost two series in a row. And then North Carolina was another team that we really hammered, uh, for lack of a better word, in this week's rankings from three. And they go on the road and, and get swept at, at the U against Miami and drop them to 14. But this Florida team, I think, Aaron, is not the team that we ranked number one in the preseason. They're a little bit more callow uh, in the field and on the mound. A little yeah. less experienced than I think we yeah. thought they'd be. Um, and then number, and then North Carolina is not the team that they were, and I think it's really startling for them to. I, I know the matchup wasn't good for them with Miami and how left-handed the Hurricanes are and how left-handed North Carolina's lineup is, but the, without Colin Moran, North Carolina looks awfully ordinary in the lineup. In fact, they look below average. When you score three runs on a weekend, you're below average. That's exactly right, and and I kind of thought you know you and I talked about this last week. I kind of thought this was a good matchup for Miami, you know, with those two quality lefties that they've got in their rotation, Erickson and, and Ewing, against all those lefties in the UNC lineup, uh, and no Moran. You know, it just seemed like 
Miami being at home, this was their chance to kind of finally get that signature series win that they needed because um, they hadn't really beaten a regional team in a series yet this year. Uh, so now they have. And, you know, in a vacuum, you don't like to hit UNC 11 spots after, you know, after his first bad weekend. Just as last week, we didn't like hitting Arkansas 10 spots and really didn't like hitting UCLA 12 spots this week after losing two out of three at home. I mean, UCLA didn't even get swept, but... Um, you know, this is, again, this is one of those weeks for the rankings that wasn't fun. It was not um, we fun. had various permutations, um, you know, inside the top 15. Um, you know, we had one version, John, that you and I talked about that was a little more conservative with the Tar Heels and the Bruins. Yep. Um, but ultimately, I think, you know, some of the points that, that factored into this discussion are, are, hey, if you're looking at, at North Carolina now, I mean, you compare them with Miami. Um, yes, they just, first of all, they just got swept head-to-head. Um, and if you look at UCLA, this is their second home series loss um, versus a team like Oregon that has only one series loss, and it's on the road, and they've played a tough schedule. They've been on the road a bunch, and they went to Vanderbilt and Hawaii. Those are quality, you know, quality weekends. Um, and, and, you know, and, and they just won two out of three at UCLA, and they won, you know, swept Arizona State last week. So body of work now, uh, you know, I like UCLA's body of work. I think Oregon has the better body of work. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that was – uh, that was, like you said, there were various permutations that we went through, and uh, it, it was hard. It was very hard this week to figure out how to rank some of these teams, and even in the top ten. I mean, uh, we have, we've glossed over it a little bit. Let's, let's kind of go to the top three, Aaron. I mean, Texas A&M and Kentucky, um, you know, in Arizona at four. Arizona, you know, kind of hard to move out of four. They won a weekend series on the road in league play. But a pretty soft two and two week. We ended up leaving the Wildcats where they are, but we don't want to forget the fact that they just swept Stanford last weekend. Um, Texas A&M yeah. and Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky, thirty and three. Aaron, uh, that's <laughs> that's loud. Um, yeah. I, I I didn't have any trepidation about ranking the Wildcats third or the Aggies second. In fact, I think you could give some thought to the Aggies. Yeah, the Aggies haven't uh, haven't won all their series like Kentucky has. Could have given some thought to Kentucky at two, but I think Texas A&M. Has a little bit stronger body of work argument, but uh, talk about those two teams at, at at two and three. It was a it was a debate. You know, I, I certainly came to this thing wondering if Kentucky should be ahead because for one thing, you look at the top twenty five records. Kentucky's now seven and two against the top twenty five. A um, and M is one and two, so there's a little bit of a discrepancy there, and that's partly because the Big Twelve is down. Right. But hey, you know, you you got to beat the teams on your schedule. Uh, ultimately, I think we. We like the fact that A&M did play a better non-conference schedule than Kentucky. You know, they went on the road to Pepperdine and swept that series. Um, you know, they swept Michigan State at home, which is a better series by far than anything Kentucky did non-conference. Um, so that that kind of played into our decision. And the fact that A&M was ahead last week and went 4-0, swept Oklahoma, uh, there's no reason really to jump Kentucky over them. But you had to think about it because Kentucky now has had four weekends in a row in conference play, and they've won all four series, two have been on the road, um, you know, and they're beating good teams too. It's not just, you know, they're they're not they're no longer their their record against uh, you know against soft opponents here. This is this is legit for Kentucky. There's no doubt about it, and I think uh, they're well on their way to hosting a regional, and uh, their location will help them. Their success this year will help them. Uh, the fact that they're beating teams, the fact that they're a good team, as well will help them the most, Aaron. But uh, you know, do we do we like them? I mean, right now they're, they're sitting in the SEC, two games ahead of the Gators. Um, you know, with with Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia, Vanderbilt, 
And it just looks like Kentucky, with the rest of the, uh, the way their schedule lines up ahead of them, obviously it gets tougher. They're going to have to go on the road at Arkansas. That'll be their toughest road series. But it feels like it's pretty winnable from here on out. And they get Florida at home. Uh, feels like they have a shot to win the SEC East, like a good shot to win the SEC East, especially with Florida's problems on the mound. You're right. And they get LSU at home, too. And, you know, if you're going to have to play those teams – uh, I think you, you'd like to play them at home. And, and the fact that they're at Vanderbilt, you know, it's a winnable road series right now. Vanderbilt right. Is, is beatable. Right. <laughs> you know, Mississippi State even um, is, is, a, is a good, you know, I think they're a good team. They had a nice, uh, an important weekend to win a series against Vanderbilt. Uh, but, again, that's a series on the road that's easier to win than, than LSU or Florida in, in theory. So, you know, yeah, I agree. I think the schedule does set up pretty well for Kentucky. They've, hey, they've got a chance to win this conference outright. Uh, the entire, you know, they could, they could be number one seed in the SEC tournament. They could we'll be the see. number one seed in the whole NCAA tournament. Is what I, that's where I'm kind of headed. Yeah, they could. If you win the SEC they could. regular season and you have the gaudy, even with their, their non-conference play affecting their RPI in a negative fashion, they if you win the SEC regular season and you win it in some ways going away as they could do, um, they could be the number one overall seed in the whole baseball tournament, which I wonder if that's ever happened. Yeah. Basketball and baseball tournament—that's that's pretty good. I, I don't, and, I don't know the. And last. their number and their and their RPI, John, is even with their non-conference schedule right now is number four. Yeah, I mean, they are on track to be the number one overall seed if they keep on doing what they're doing. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Florida State. It feels like I take the, the Seminoles for granted. I should not. I will stop doing that right this second, Aaron. Let's focus a bit on the Seminoles because it just reminded me this morning I was looking to – we were having these discussions about uh, – last week talking about James Ramsey, about Florida State players who put up monster years. We didn't even include Tyler Holt in the debate, and I was looking this morning at my right. Carolina Mudcats box score, and they are now the high Class A affiliate of the Cleveland Indians, and there's Tyler Holt going four for four at the top of that Mudcats lineup. So it just reminded me of how much I like Tyler Holt as a college player. But the Seminoles just right. keep doing it, Aaron. Uh, they're, you know, the, how do you like their rotation? How's it been holding up? I mean, they they obviously must have done something right this weekend to sweep Georgia Tech. Although that is, yeah. in my mind, a weakened Georgia. It, it's, a, it's a lesser addition in comparison to recent Georgia Tech clubs. It is. It is. I mean, they they're accustomed to hosting regionals, and they're not going to come close to hosting regional this year. But um, yeah, you're right. The Seminoles. They did do a lot of things well this weekend. You know, they they uh, they got a great start from Brandon Lebrand as per usual on Friday. He's been a legit Friday guy. I mean, we talked earlier this season on the podcast about um, you know the success that Sean Gilmartin had as a freshman lefty atop that rotation. You know, that Friday spot. Right. Um, and Lebrand is uh, he's of that same vintage. He, he's not quite as firm as Gilmartin with the fastball. And but you know, Gilmartin really would settle in in that kind of 86, 88 range too. I mean, he'd bump a 90, maybe a 91 here and there. But you're right. Though. Uh, Lee Brandt is he's he's the same kind of guy, you know. And uh, and and Peter Miller gave him a nice start on Sunday. I mean, he's been up and down, but you know, pretty pretty solid for them in Sunday. And this was really the first bad start I can remember seeing from Mike Compton. But uh, this is. Uh, you know, this is a team that has enough pitching and, and a really good offense and an experienced defense, and I just think they're really solid. And, you know, we, I talked about this last week in the uh, midseason report, gave Mike Martin the Coach of the Year honor at the, at the midseason. 
because he just has done a, a fantastic job. I think the, what, what him and Mike Bell have done with that pitching staff has been masterful, putting the veterans at the back, putting everyone in the best position to succeed, and, and that's something that Mike Martin does as well as or better than anyone in college baseball. There's a reason that they win 40 or 50 games every single year and not always with elite-level talent, seldom, in fact, with elite-level talent. Right. They have good college players. Uh, occasionally they have transcendent players like the Buster Poseys and you know the Stephen Drews and J.D. Drews, but yeah. um, and, and certainly you'd put James Ramsey as a guy that is uh, uh, maybe his talent isn't quite transcendent, but he's a really talented player and an incredibly good college player. Yeah, I liked your quote that you had. Uh, was it a scout or was it a coach? Maybe it was someone told you this or Con. I forget. Someone told someone with our staff that James Ramsey is their Tim Tebow, and I like that. Uh, I like, I, I like that. That's good. I like that analogy. And uh, and then the thing is, Robert Benincasa is a smackdown closer. He is a legit yeah. big-time closer. Um, we saw two legit closers go mano a mano Saturday night in Coral Gables, Michael Morin for North Carolina and EJ Encinosa for Miami. And that turned out to be the pivotal game of that weekend series because uh, you expect in some ways that Miami would win that series because the matchups, their left-handed pitching, um, North Carolina being a little injured with Colin Moran. But that was a that was a classic where the two closer went locked up in 13 combined innings, uh, gave up one run. Morin goes seven innings and gives up a run and gets the loss. Um, but that sounds like it's one of the more epic games of the year, at least in the ACC. It sounds like it's one of the yeah, epic yeah. games of the year. And a vital game, Aaron, because it's a game where it seems like North Carolina kind of had to win because they got shut out the other two games. Right, you're right, and, and EJ Encinosa was really, really outstanding. You know, he retired all 18 hitters that he faced. Um, it was, it was. I watched the latter innings of that game on ESPN three, and uh, it was fun to watch. It really was. And then that ball at the end that uh, Esteban Trescayo hit out was it just barely got out. It was, it was, you know, kind of uh, one of those high rainbow shots that was drifting down the line, and it just kind of sneaked over into the corner right, right above Parks Jordan's glove. And it was it was an exciting finish, uh, really really good theater out there in Miami. And you know the Hurricanes then came back the next day and kind of smelled blood and uh, delivered the knockout blow. So it was certainly, a, you know, I think for Miami, uh, kind of like for Florida State. I feel like in both cases, you know, those teams they won, they won the first two games, and and they had an opportunity uh, to to go for a sweep against a, a depleted opponent, a big name opponent that wasn't really at full strength. They kind of sensed, I got the feeling that that. You know, they had a chance to, to really um, make a statement, and, and they took advantage. Yeah, North Carolina, just uh, Colin Moran. I mean, I think we know how good Colin Moran is. He was our freshman of the year for a reason last year. He's uh, awfully good, and I think you're just seeing kind of how they miss him uh, right now. Uh, there's just not a presence in their lineup, and they had some uh, defensive issues that uh, kind of bit them in the last years. I still feel like when North Carolina does get – I guess I'm contrasting – Comparing and contrasting a little bit with, the, with Kentucky, it still feels like North Carolina is a team. Their their schedule opens up fairly well for them, it, it looks like, Aaron, um, down the stretch. And it feels like if they can get Colin Moran back healthy, they're at Virginia this weekend, but then home to Georgia Tech, home with Boston College. Their only road series after Virginia in the league is at Duke, which is not really a road series. It's 20 miles down the road and, well, 15 miles or 8 miles, whatever. And then, you know, North Carolina fans will outnumber Duke fans, although they'll, be, they'll both be outnumbered by Duke security there. Uh, if, that, if that game is, if that <laughs> is, that right? is played at Jack Coombs Field. And then Virginia Tech at home. So it still feels like North Carolina, this is not the end of the world, 
the Tar Heels still feel like they have a, a real good chance to finish very strong and host a regional, if not be a top eight national seed with the way their schedule lines up, if they can survive this weekend at Virginia. I agree with you. I mean, I'm not giving up on North Carolina by any means, and that's why maybe it seems like that when you hit a team 11 spots in the rankings. That's but where I'm headed. I, you know, I like I like North Carolina's body of work okay. I like the fact that they won the last two series without Moran against probably two regional teams with NC State and, and Wake Forest. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're a tough, gritty bunch. They have a great bullpen. They have solid starting pitching. Um, no, I'm not giving up on, on North Carolina, just like I wasn't giving up on Arkansas last week, and I'm not giving up on UCLA. But there's teams that have earned a reward in the rankings. You know, Baylor's 12-0 yep. and 0 in their league. They've won, what, 12 straight games or 14, whatever it is. 14 straight. Um, you know, they've, they've got to move up. In Miami, again, you sweep UNC. I mean, they, they've got to be ahead of UNC, don't they? I think we thought so. I think we really wrestled with that one. And, uh, again, talking in one permutation, we still had seven spots in the ranking between the two of them. And anytime yeah. you move North Carolina down a little or if you move Miami up a little bit, if they were close to each other, we wound up with Miami ahead of them. That's, that's the permutation we wound up with. And, again, none of them were perfect. And uh, there were several scenarios that we felt were debatable. One thing we didn't feel was debatable, excuse me, was, was Baylor's placement, Aaron. We really felt like we had to be uh, aggressive with the Bears. Uh, they've won 14 straight games. And this weekend, again, you, you laid it out very well uh, in the midseason update. Big 12, you're trying to find a, a fourth Big 12 team that's going to make regionals. You pointed out that this was really difficult to do, and we thought Missouri could be that team. Well, now Baylor goes and sweeps Missouri, so it's a big stamp of approval for Baylor that they showed they could go on the road, as we detailed in last week's podcast, how their schedule is so road-heavy. So kudos to Steve Smith and the gang for Baylor uh, sweeping a series on the road. 12-0 in the league is 12-0 in the league is 12-0 in the league is 12-0 in the league. But this league stinks, Aaron. This is the worst I've ever seen the Big 12. It's the worst I've ever seen the Big 12, and it's looking like a three-bid league, is it not? It's going to be a three-bid league. I mean, unless somebody else wins the conference tournament, there's your there's your way to get four. Uh, because man, oh man, Oklahoma is now 91 in the RPI. They're two and ten against the top 50. And if you look at the schedule, it it doesn't get any better for them. This was their this weekend was their opportunity to make a statement. They went two out of three in College Station. Okay, you know the RPI is going to go up. They're going to have you know in good shape in the league. Now they've got. I mean, they've got Alabama State for three games still in their schedule, number 257. They don't have another series against a team inside the top 100 other than Baylor. Yeah. Um, so it's – how are they going to get in? I don't see it. And, and, you know, there's nobody else. I mean, Missouri, again, we gave them the benefit of the doubt last week because we didn't really have enough teams anyway to get into our field 64. Uh, and we figured at least they've got, you know, they've got Baylor at home. Maybe they can win that series. Well, not even close. Uh, they're not getting in either. It's unless one of those teams wins the, con- the automatic bid. It's a three-bid league. You're basically looking so at the West Coast Conference, John. I'm sorry to interrupt again, but the West Coast Conference is going to have as many teams in potentially as the Big 12. And you know, when you look at the the head-to-head records between these two leagues, the WCC is eight and five against the Big 12 this year. And that's with Pepperdine getting swept uh, by A&M, which is like you know kind of a big marquee series win for A&M in some ways. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're talking about, and, the, and you're basically talking about the San, USD San Diego, which is at 20 in this week's rankings. Uh, would be would Gonzaga be one of the other teams? And I guess either Pepperdine or 
maybe is Portland in that discussion? The the, the pilots certainly play uh, well. Yeah, I think the pilots are they've got a shot, but I mean, I, I, right now I think Pepperdine's in better shape RPI wise. But Portland at 62 is way better than the fourth team in the in the uh, in the Big 12 as far as RPI goes. And so, hey, I mean, the, WCC has a better chance right now to get four teams in the Big 12 if you don't factor in the automatic bid factor. That is really amazing, and I, I cannot believe how bad the Big 12 is. It's, uh, it is crazy, but it is terrible. That's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Um, Aaron, let's talk about the Bruins. Uh, I guess other team that we hammered this week. You saw UCLA this weekend. You've seen a lot of UCLA this year. Uh, bottom line is uh, Oregon's resume, like you said, is better than the Bruins, and the Ducks – who was the team last year that couldn't win midweek but was very good on weekends besides Florida? <laughs> I mean, it feels like Oregon's pit, lack of pitching depth uh, obviously affects them midweek, but, you know, the Ducks seem like a pretty doggone dangerous team. And I think UCLA is dangerous, but that's a pretty loud statement yeah. I thought by Oregon to go in there and win two out of three at Westwood. I agree with you, especially holding a, a pretty darn good offensive team to five runs combined yeah. in the first two games. Um you know, and Oregon doesn't have big arms. Neither neither is UCLA. They're they're kind of actually. I think these teams are constructed pretty similarly. You know, you're both you're looking at guys who are kind of 86 to 89 all weekend in the rotation. Um, you know, they both have a big arm at the back with Scott Griggs, who's really I think come into his own for UCLA as the closer, which he needed to. It's been a huge development. Um, and then you know Jimmy Scherfe, who had the flu this weekend, wasn't himself. Um, pitched a, a little bit on Sunday but didn't look great but um give him a pass on that one and, and you know in between it's neither of these staffs are really deep um but you know they've they've got enough guys I think that they can that they feel comfortable with on weekends and uh um I do think UCLA is actually a little bit better offensively than Oregon but Oregon isn't, isn't a bad offensive club they're a lot better than they were last Last year, offensively, they've got some pop in the middle with Aaron Jones and Ryan Healy. Um, they've got some athleticism up and down the lineup. They're tough outs and they grind. Um, George Horton was really displeased with the way his team played yesterday, and he, you know, <laughs> the, the coaching staff gave the players quite an earful in the post-game huddle afterwards, even after they just won a road series. But that's part of the reason that Oregon is, is a good team. Is you know, the coaches expect a lot out of these guys and get a lot out of them. Yeah, and I, I tell you what I like is. Uh... To me, is that uh, they, they, there's an emphasis that, that you can tell Oregon emphasized improving its offense. Both their assistant coaches hires this year when they lost um, their two assistant coaches, one going to LMU and I guess uh, Andrew Check is obviously going to UC Santa Barbara. Their two new assistant coaches are offensive-oriented guys, Mark Wasikowski and I for, I'm blanking on the other assistant coach's name. Jay Ullman. Jay Ullman. Both those guys. I mean, you read their bios, it's offensive guru, offensive guy. And George Horton knew what ailed his program. And he wasn't afraid to change some things up. I remember talking to him in Omaha last year. He was there, uh, you know, just to, uh, as an observer, basically. And he said, we've got to get more offensive. We've got to figure out a way to manufacture runs. And we've got to be more aggressive. We can't let ourselves down over and over offensively like we did last year. And they've remade their image. They seem like they're a little bit more aggressive offensively. Just a yeah. Executing better, so that the emphasis was there as a program, and, uh, and and I guess they lost the Heineman Bowl, but they won the war, right? That's right, they did. Yeah, it's uh, Tyler Heineman's isolated power is much higher than his younger brother's. <laughs> nice isolated power reference. 
John John just taught me about isolated power this morning in the meetings. I'm I'm not much of a stat guy, I'll be honest. But uh it's you know, it it's I'll tell you Tyler's had a great year and, and, and Scott has uh is a freshman, he's taking his lumps. But you know, those are two two pretty good players. It's a good baseball family. We like the Heidemann Bulls. The Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. We have to wrap up Aaron uh, a little early today. Um I will uh, I do want to shout out to New Mexico State and Sam Houston State. Both ranked for the first time ever in our top 25, Aaron, uh, and both with pretty impeccable resumes as far as being in the top 25. New Mexico State's won 12 out of uh, 15 out of 16, and Sam Houston State. Kudos to David Pierce, the former assistant at Rice, uh, taking what Mark Johnson had built there at Sam Houston State, which was a, a good foundation, a solid club. It's made regionals um, under the former Texas A&M coach, but boy, David Pierce, they've kind of taken it up a notch this year, haven't they? They have taken it up a notch, and it's been impressive. You know the fact that they, th- this resume is is, it, it's kind of loud. I mean, for, for Sam Houston State, they, they're now they're riding a 12-game winning streak that started with that sweep of Texas State. Um, you know they uh, they've got a series win against San Diego. They just beat Rice midweek. Um, they've got pretty good pitching, and uh, you know they they're they're a solid club. And you know New Mexico State's got a bunch of veteran upperclassmen guys. So um, these teams are you know they they've earned their way into the rankings. Does he, do either of those clubs have a chance to be like a dark horse host? Like, could Sam Houston State take advantage of the fact that the Big 12 is weak, or is that just not really likely? I just can't see it. Not with you know, with with Texas A&M and Baylor and Rice still in their state, uh, and even Texas. Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, it. it We'll see. I mean, I guess if they really, really dominate this league, hey, you know, I haven't really thought about Sam Houston State as a host. We'd have to look into that. But I, I think it's, I think it's a long shot. Feels like it's a long shot. New Mexico State. I, I really can't imagine that. Um, again, I mean, was the last time a team from the WAC hosted that wasn't Rice? You know, I just feels like that's been forever. And Fresno mm. certainly has the ballpark for it and the fan base. It doesn't think it'll be a stretch for either of those clubs. But I, it does seem like those are dangerous clubs, especially Sam Houston. Like you said, they've. They just beat Rice early this week. They've, they've won low-scoring games. They've won high-scoring games. They swept Texas State. They've kind of taken care of their business. And, uh, you know, you have to give uh, credit to the first-year coach. I think a little uh, credit to the coach who kind of laid some of those foundations as well there in Mark Johnson. So uh, big news for both of those programs. And, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure we got that into the podcast. Aaron, any last-minute thoughts before we uh, sign off early here today? Wrap it up, Johnny. I will wrap it up and remind you that this Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. ATEC is committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and more on ATECSports.com. ATEC win every practice. He's Aaron Fitt. I'm John Manuel. You'll probably see us at a college ballpark uh, this weekend. For Aaron, it's John. It's the Baseball America podcast. See you next time. So long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.